Welcome to The Goodest Show, the show on SaaS marketing, from actionable tips and tricks to insightful interviews with industry leaders. Hey everyone and welcome to the, another episode of The Goodest Show. Today with me, Jeroen Korthout, the CEO and co-founder of Salesforce, of Salesflare, sorry. <laughs> almost, almost. <laughs> almost. How are you? I'm doing fine, how are you? I'm fine too. Uh, thank you for taking time and, and join, joining us today. Tell us a little bit of Salesflare for start. Yeah, it actually started some, a little bit with a frustration with Salesforce. Uh, I've been using it myself for, for about four, four years. It's the very first CRM I tried and I, I, I thought uh, to be successful in sales, I had to use it very diligently. So I tried that, but uh, I never really managed. It seemed like it was uh, built in another sort of place in time um, because uh, what ended up happening is that I would organize myself in Outlook. I was using Outlook back then and Wunderlist is a task list. Uh, those tools were much more modern than what I found in uh, in Salesforce. Plus, in Outlook, my communication happened. The window list had my tasks, and I mean, what, what did I need Salesforce for? But then, uh, fast forward uh, about four or five years, I was working with my current co-founder on a software company, um, and we had a lot of good leads from a conference. And the thing is, we didn't find any good system for ourselves to follow these people up. Uh, sort of at scale, like I think we had 130 leads at the, at the time and they were all interested in buying, but they they needed to be uh, taken through the process. They needed some time, you know, they need follow up. And we started off with a sheet like most people, uh, but that very quickly started failing. And then we, th we thought, well, a, a CRM is probably going to solve this. And I knew that Salesforce wasn't going to solve it. So we looked for other stuff. And we tried a bunch of systems and what we noticed is that, yes, in principle, they were built from, for it, but we always ended up failing, uh, keeping the system alive. It wasn't uh, per se because the system wasn't well built or anything. It's just that it came with the expectation that we were going to fill it out uh, constantly, diligently with every little single, uh, every little thing we did, uh, every single detail. If we were just diligent enough uh, to put it all into the system, then in the end, we would reap the benefits. Uh, we would find everything there. We would be able to say, okay, follow up. What's the latest thing we discussed? Everything would be here. We could sort of rely on it. But the problem is this, the, the system relied on us for us to rely on the system. <laughs> and that just didn't work. Um, and then we thought uh, like uh, any, any um, sort of genesis moment for a company, uh, there must be a better way. Um, and we figured actually that um, the things we were inputting, they were already somewhere. So if we could just get the information there, bring it together automatically, offer it to, to us that we just could like sort of curate the information, that would be much easier. So there's like emails in your inbox, there's people you're in touch with, there's their email signatures with data, there's meetings in your calendar, there's phones in your... Uh, phone calls in your phone. There is stuff in the company database, stuff in social media. There's there's all kinds of tracking you have going on, like email tracking or web tracking. Uh, we built a system that takes all of that and brings it together and manages it for you so that you can basically spend more time managing your customers in a reliable way. Uh, and that's, that's what Salesflare is today. 
Um, it's this this uh, CRM that is built from the ground up to automate your data inputs to keep track of stuff automatically. Uh, it's not a like many others that have sort of followed suit a manual system with some automated streams. It's really an automated system that allows manual uh, as well to control stuff, uh, and it really helps uh, you follow up your customers better. So, when did you start uh, with the idea? How long it, does it did it take you from from the beginning to where you are now? Um, well, we started uh, about seven and a half years ago, uh, almost seven and a half. Um, that was in in April, May two thousand fourteen is when we had that idea. Um, at the time, the the very first feature we were making was uh, synchronizing emails into a CRM. Uh, people thought that was really weird. Uh, nobody was doing that because I guess it was technically difficult and then everybody was sold on the idea that it wasn't really <laughs> an interesting idea, that you only had to put the, the, the important emails in the CRM and all that. But we, I think we started really active development because we went through a few stages before that um, in September 2014. Um, we had the first person who actually wanted to use it for free um, in the spring of 2015. Um, or maybe even the no, spring of 2015, I think. And then towards the autumn, we had our first uh, customer, the first person who wanted to pay for it. Uh, so it was an, one an, year. Yeah, took us one year. The thing is, um, it's, it sounds all, well, it sounded all easy to us, at least. You know, you take all this data, you plug into it, you bring it together and you offer a CRM. Now, the problem is it isn't that easy, one. And second, uh, we were building a CRM which uh, is uh, generally a product that does a lot of stuff. So we had to build a lot of software. And there was also a lot of uh, polishing to do to make sure that was usable as well. Uh, so that whole process took us a year from, from starting development to getting that very first customer. When the first customer came in, uh, what happened then? How did you grow? Well, uh, we kept growing in the same way as 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 we were at at, at that moment. We were uh, doing everything in a in a fully how can I say um, guided way. We were selling uh, very uh, manually. Uh, it was not that you could uh, sign up on our site, uh, look at the trial, and see whether it was something for you or so. I would. Get in touch with people, or they would they would get in touch with us uh, through the form on our site. I would have a call with them where I showed uh, how Salesforce was much better. Um, then I would say, "Do you want me to um, set this up for you?" We would do that together. We would basically share screens. Maybe at that point they would share their screen. Um, in the beginning, it was all you had to enter IMAP details and stuff is very complex. So we did that together. We connected. Then we uh, created the first companies together. We uh, connected their calendar. You know, we started setting up their pipeline and uh, we did the whole that process together. Then they started working with it. Uh, they came back with questions. They I closed the deal. They started paying everything. And in the beginning, it was all. It was they, they paid via invoice. Uh, they didn't pay like with credit cards. So it was a very, very manual process, but it helped us. Uh, I would never want to 
want to skip maybe parts of it, but uh, what we learned during that period was super, super valuable uh, because we were always there with the customer, guiding them through every little step. So we could very quickly understand what was going well and what was not going so well, iterate on that and actually improve the experience, uh, which if you would look now, <laughs> now it's the, the polar opposite. Like if you go to our site, yeah. you click try it for free, uh, you actually, you can see the software before uh, creating an account, before connecting your emails. You do that, you get some sort of sense of how it looks and what it does for you, what the value is. And then at the end, it says, do you want to connect your emails and do it for yourself? And then you go into that. There's a setup guide. It starts helping you. Uh, you go through all these steps. Not saying that we are not there, but if you want to do it all by yourself, you perfectly can. Um, so very much the opposite of how we started. And I think that's that's just uh, that's just Do you healthy. still do those demo calls? We still do those. Uh, actually, for a while, we didn't. Um, but we've uh, retaken them, especially since we started also attracting more and more larger customers. Uh, and I mean, like, like mid-sized ones. Um, it just doesn't work without doing uh, proper demo calls and showing people things and guiding them through the process. Uh, it works very well if it's like one or two people coming on the software. But as soon as it becomes uh, teams of five or 10 or 20 or 40 or whatever, um, then, then you need this sort of guidance as, as real sales. Okay. Uh, a lot of questions. So the first thing you were talking about, so at the beginning, everything was manually and, you know, you work on one-on-one with the client and now you're fully automated. So what was this journey? So when did, how did you decide when to automate certain things, how to approach those issues? I think the general feeling was like, if this is, if we understand well enough how to automate it and we can without uh, lowering the conversion rate too much, then we do it. Um, and so constantly you're looking for steps in the process, like, okay, this is not going well. Why are we doing this manually? Why can it not be automated? If it's automated, is it is it the same experience? Is it a better experience? Are people going to get it? Uh, is it still going to, uh, convert people or is this going to become a bottleneck? Uh, if you can, if you feel that you nailed it in such a way that you can, you understand it very well and you can automate it as well, then it's an ideal candidate. So throughout the whole process, you start identifying these points and step-by-step step, you just, you just work on them and you take them away. And another thing, so you were mentioning that at the, at the beginning, teams were smaller and now you're targeting the bigger companies. So what was your niche at the beginning and how you're developing towards bigger companies? Yeah, well, I didn't say we're not serving smaller companies anymore, but we are also attracting more and more larger ones. We are mostly attracting uh, agencies. That means like marketing agencies. Uh, mostly digital marketing agencies, uh, software development companies. We have a ton of those uh, consultancies of all kinds uh, from uh, sustainability consultancy to uh, normal management consultancy or whatever. Uh, and then we have a lot of tech companies on the software as well. So that means like uh, SaaS companies like, like us or telcos like telecom or other types of startups within these same categories, we're attracting larger and larger ones. Um, and we're also, well, it's partly facilitated also by uh, the fact that we're doing these demo calls. It's partly also because we are just uh, 
gathering more and more credibility. We're not just the, 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 the new player on the block anymore, not just the, the company that you can't trust. Plus, I think the, the frustration with some systems uh, that have been thrown at people for free uh, for a while is now growing and they're looking for alternatives. And that's, that's both in the small and the mid-sized companies. If you take a look at your growth journey, uh, what was your growth engine? Did you rely more on content or on uh, paid media or advertising conferences? Also, that has changed dramatically over time. Uh, in the very beginning, like our first customer actually came from a PR. Uh, we got in some article. In the beginning, it was mostly local PR. Like, I think that was a... We're in Belgium. But I think that was a Dutch... Um, marketing blog slash magazine that worked well because we set out our vision and that first customer just bought into our vision they had the microsoft dynamics which is a crm for microsoft their, their salespeople hated to use it they read in the in the in the article that we were building something that that basically kept itself alive and that their, their salespeople didn't have to do all that work and they would reap the benefits um, and that got their attention and they contacted us Many of our customers after that either came through um, more articles or they came through our network that we grew one based on our personal network, uh, second uh, through the whole um, accelerator incubator um, sort of network. And then from there, you know, that's, it's not, it's not super scalable, but you have to start with things that don't really scale, right? From there, I think there was a period that Quora uh, Quora.com, the question and answer website, was very popular in Google results. So if you would type something like the best CRM for something, you would always get to a Quora page. Uh, so we wrote quite some stuff for Quora. Uh, we got a uh, number one answer on a lot of those, which create a lot of traffic. That so sort of started dying out. But at the same time, we then we launched on Product Hunt, uh, which is uh, the biggest community for product lovers in the world. Uh, we had a really big launch. Which, which got a lot of interest, which then also convinced the people of AppSumo um, to get us on AppSumo. They promoted us there. This created a lot of, um, well, a lot of people came our, on our software. So imagine like Product Hunt, uh, I think 300, 400 teams signed up in the two days uh, uh, after that. Uh, with AppSumo, it was 6,000 or something, so, somewhere in that. <laughs> and, and they all made their accounts. And they were all bought in, you know. So that created a lot of, uh, well, next to feedback, uh, which, which, which was really good, uh, and work <laughs> because we had offered them uh, free imports and help with integrations. Um, it also created a lot of word of mouth. Um, so a lot of people all of a sudden were using our software, loved it, told other people, wrote reviews, uh, put the word out there, you know. Um, we've largely been growing uh, on word of mouth since then, but next to that, we've also been growing our content marketing uh, traffic, which is something we started off with, I think in 2017, like the first few years, we didn't, we didn't put any effort in that because we, we had other stuff to do, you know, we had other nuts to crack. We had to, we had to sell this thing. Uh, we didn't have to write articles but around 2017 we first used content marketing as a sort of hype mechanism to get people's interest in facebook groups and all that then we started switching uh, to seo towards our audience to attract more and more of our audience 
And then we started switching our SEO more and more towards uh, sales topics and actually also topics where we can sort of show Salesflare in motion uh, so that people get a first idea of uh, what they're looking for something, uh, how can Salesflare help them with that. Um, and that's been a growing channel over the, especially over the past year, the past two years, because SEO takes some time to, to actually uh, yeah. gear up. So you were talking about the word of mouth. Did you have any tactics for encouraging this or encouraging people to spread the news or that just happened organically? We tried stuff, but nothing really pushed the needle, I would say, like increased it. Um, it's, it's mostly organic. So what we tried are some kind of uh, campaigns where if you get someone on the software, they get something and the person that gets on gets something. Uh, we tried uh, pushing our affiliate program. It works a little, but none of these things really, really make a difference. It's, it's what makes most of a difference is really um, making people really happy with your software uh, and getting more people on there. These two things make one that people uh, are more likely to tell other people. Uh, and secondly, the more people you have on there, the more you will have responses when somebody says on LinkedIn or on Facebook or they ask their friends, what kind of CRM are you using? Which I don't advocate as being a good way of finding a CRM, but then, then more will say Salesforce which helps us as well. So can you share with us when you were growing and scaling and so on, what was the biggest, let's say, horror story, the biggest fail uh, that you did and what you have learned from it? I think some of the, the most painful things is are, are, are people uh, stories where you, uh, for instance, hire the wrong person and have to deal with, with your mistakes. But to not make it a people thing, um, I think we tested out a freemium uh, model with Salesforce for a while we couldn't like switch around everything so we tested it uh, without our customers knowing uh, we attracted traffic uh, to it from ads and we sent out emails and all those kind of things we didn't get it to work after putting in a lot of effort uh, this was really a lot of work to to make this happen and that that was quite painful and we we actually should have known that beforehand but sometimes yeah you just need to just need to test things uh, to know for sure. Because if it would have worked, of course, that would have been uh, that would have opened other avenues. Why do you think it didn't work? Um, I think when people are looking for a good CRM, uh, they don't necessarily expect it to be free. Yes, there are free options on the market. They're very limited, uh, mostly. And if you want to get similar functionality as what we offer, then you probably pay double. It's not free anymore, but double the price. And that's just a very hard model um, to get off the ground if you don't have a large volume of people looking for your product. So that is that is the main blocking factor. And in a in a space where there's probably around 700 CRMs today or something, um, one, and secondly, there are some big players that uh, try to get all the visibility uh, and have uh, an enormous amount of resources to do that. Getting into that volume is very, very, very difficult. Um, and it requires probably years more of pushing uh, to get there and then 
not knowing whether it's going to work out. And then you changed. So now you are, you don't have freemium, you have a free trial, right? We've always had free trial. It's just, we tested freemium in the, in the, yeah, like we tested it. And if you, if you compare the fr uh, freemium versus free trial, what are the benefits? Let's say the benefits of the free trial for us or for the, for the customers or uh, for you, you know, speaking of it, like, uh, let's say this is a tactic. Uh, if you are another SaaS company and you are thinking, okay, should I try freemium or should I try free trial? When to use free trial? When yeah. to go for freemium? Um, with free trial, you actually know, uh, quite clearly whether people want to pay for your product or not. You, you don't have to put up, uh, weird barriers, uh, which people don't enjoy and try to work around. You also attract more of your um, ideal target customer. Uh, while if you do a freemium plan, you will get a lot of people that uh, will not pay ever. Uh, if you know what I mean, it's these people that, that only take free things and then you, you have very low chance of converting them. I think in general, it's just a better, um, a better way to really get a sense of who your customer is, have good conversations with them, know whether it, it's, they, they think it's worth to pay for what it is you offer and all those kind of things. In a freemium model, you can, if you're lucky, uh, scale to a much higher scale, have more word of mouth and through that grow. Uh, but that's only for the, um, for the happy few, I'd say. So with freemium, you can get more exposure, but also a lot of only small amount of paying customers and a lot of free users, then if I understand you correctly, you get unnecessary costs at a large scale. You get unnecessary costs, which in our model would also be, I mean, we, we do a lot of things automated. We have a ton of data it would get really expensive. That's, that's for sure. But don't forget also the, the advantage when it comes to building relationships and really ha uh, like knowing your customers and being in touch with them and yeah, just building relationships. It's very hard to do that at the scale of a freemium model, uh, especially when you consider that there's an enormous amount of people using your software and you only have so many resources um, to, to keep that relationship because you won't, there's a lot of people, but you don't earn much money from them. Uh, while if, if you earn money from your customers, um, you also have the resources to, to, to have these relationships. Um, which is something I really enjoy because then it makes that you can, you can build a better product by talking to them while in a freemium model, you, you have to build a better product by doing sort of data experiments, but these data experiments only work out if you have a huge scale, <laughs> if you just have, uh, uh like uh, the scale is like five times more than if you would do free trial, it's you, you, we will not have meaningful experiments. Okay, uh, and so that was the horror story. And ca can you also uh, share with us something that really worked on some um, success stories? I think there's a lot of small success stories. Like uh, I already sort of highlighted when uh, when I went through the, the different things that worked for us to attract customers over time. Let me think which one I'm gonna pick. I'll go for AppSumo. It's a bit of a controversial one, but uh, now, the thing with AppSumo is you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't get on AppSumo if you uh, if if one uh, you're going to have a lot of costs uh, if you get uh, thousands of uh, accounts opened 
if you will have a lot of running costs with that, don't do it. Uh, that uh, implies like, if is there any cost hidden to uh, running such an account, then it's going to be painful on you. If your product requires a ton of support, uh, then it's going to be painful on you. Now, we, we have a CRM, so it's a quite a complex product. It's It was still doable, but it was sort of on the edge. Um, don't expect um, to make a lot of upsells uh, because you're acquiring people who are getting on a lifetime deal. Uh, they, by nature, expect to get pay once and then uh, and then use it forever. What we did was a bit different from, from many other deals. We offered uh, one user free for life and then others at a discount. Um, which made that we did make some upsells, but I wouldn't say a ton. Uh, what I would do it for is one, um, to get feedback on your product and improve it quickly. Second, maybe more importantly, um, to get some clouds, uh, to get a lot of people using it, um, which then makes that they might tell other people uh, they're ready to write reviews for you. They're ready to promote you. Uh, you can get them on the affiliate program um that is all great if your product also benefits from visibility like uh let's say a tool like like melon that we're using now uh, which is a, a streaming platform uh you show it to me i sort of <laughs> we use it together so I, I i experience it i think like oh maybe there's something for me as well or you have a tool that is like a zoom competitor or something um then it might be super interesting as well because visibility scales more visibility and you know. what is painful uh, is that it all comes in a in a in a big burst um, so over the period of three weeks we got six thousand teams started on salesflare uh, this uh, I'll, I'll go to, to, to our horror story now a bit uh, we didn't expect it to bring down our whole infrastructure uh, there were there were a few things that went wrong uh, one, we told at the time we used this kind of external service to sync mailboxes. Uh, we, we've taken that out since. Um, but that got completely overloaded uh, when all these people got on Salesforce. Uh, we had warned them up front and they said they would be able to take it, but that wasn't true. Um, then our servers as well were extremely busy and we didn't, we, we hadn't built out this kind of scalable server infrastructure that we have today, which scales based on usage automatically. So that was uh, very, very painful. Then we had offered, um, we didn't have an import module yet. So we said, we can import it for you, no problem. And we had built out some automation for that. But then uh, in the end, we spent an enormous amount of time actually prepping data to go into that automation. Uh, and one of our developers at some point after weeks of, of doing this, said, I'm fed up with this. I'm stopping it now. I'm going to write this import module. Uh, it will be there in two weeks. Uh, just tell people that they have to wait for two weeks. Uh, and we did that. Um, so that's a bit of the danger here. But the, the long-term benefit uh, was, was really great. Um, if you do a great job for these uh, people coming from AppSumo, uh, keep uh, improving the product, uh, you, you keep listening to what it is they have to say. Uh, a little caveat there is 
they're not necessarily your target audience. So don't take everything too seriously. I mean, they're still what they want might not represent what your actual customers want. Uh, but still, um, it's, it's a, a really great learning process. It's a really great way of, of, of getting that word of mouth, getting a bigger community um, and, and, and lifting your product to a, to a higher level. How long did, you, did it take you to prepare for the Epsomo campaign? <laughs> uh, way, way too short. Uh, let's say we were sort of winging it at the time without a lot of preparation. Uh, we didn't have the sort of structure we have today where we uh, plan things well ahead and have meetings for that and plan and work and then we didn't do that. So imagine that the, the morning of the launch and we launched, I think somewhere in the afternoon, um, I was still writing um, saved replies, which we could then use uh, in Intercom to answer everyone at high speed. Uh, we only figured out that day that we were probably going to have to work nights uh, and we started setting up this sort of rotating schedule where uh, I would get up at four in the morning uh, and immediately get behind my computer and start doing support. Uh, and I would stop working at around six or so and then go to bed really early. Um, my co-founder, he would do the, 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 the period up to four. He would start working at 11 or something. Well, he worked also part of the rest of the day, but you know me, like on the support. And then before that, there was some other colleagues. And then, like that, we, we spent the whole day because the amount of support um, inquiries that we got was, was crazy. Uh, How many also, people were at the team at that time? Um, I think we were eight or so. Uh, I think we were eight at the time. A lot of work for eight people. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, we should have we should have planned better, and I would definitely recommend uh, doing that. But uh, we we were very optimistic, which is one of the the things that um, that uh, makes you become an entrepreneur, I guess. This sort of optimism that everything's gonna turn out well. Uh, but if but if you want to grow as an entrepreneur, you need to uh, also have a good dose of pessimism uh, and uh, introduce uh, some planning and structure. Uh, because otherwise you're never going to be able to scale stuff and it will remain chaos. Okay. Uh, one topic I would like to, to dig in, into it more is um, building a relationship. Uh, you already kind of touched it on uh, several points, uh, but I think you as a CRM know, and you mentioned that you have a lot of data on your clients, would know a lot about this. Let, let's start with this. So how to approach uh, building a good relationship, how to be personal as a, as a company? Okay, um, I think it ties back to the two basic skills that every great salesperson should have. And that is one, empathy, and two, uh, organization, uh, system, reliability. Uh, to the first point, I think most people understand that empathy is uh, important in the sales job. Uh, if you want to build a good relationship, you don't just jump on a call, uh, run people through your... Um, through your PowerPoint, and then at the end, they magically buy. That's not how it happens. Many salespeople think so, and if they get me on such a call, I get really, really frustrated. Uh, some people uh, talk about death death by demo. You know, you, you try out some software, they say like, oh, we can demo it for you, and then you just get on the call. They don't listen to what it is you want. 
and I just start showing you the whole software and you're like, please stop. I don't need this. Uh, can you show me the one part that's relevant to me? You know. Um, so what you do there is really listen to your customer, um, take the time to understand what it is they need, what their context is, not just, not just I need this. No, what's, what's around this? What causes this? Uh, what's blocking this? Why, why didn't you solve this yet? Uh, who are you solving this with? Uh, you know, all these kind of things, like understand the whole, uh, the whole picture. Um, and only when you understand that really well, you can start uh, offering solutions. Uh, you can say, well, that, that's, that's great. So you want to listen to that. Actually, our product does that. Uh, and I'll show you that now. You show that. And then, and then when you've done that, you're like, okay, so are there any other things that are important to you? Um, and they give you some more stuff. Then you, you're like, okay, I can also show you then the things I showed you now. They work that way, but they also tie into these other things. And if you're interested, I can show you that as well. You know, you you start from a point of really understanding people, not giving them much more than they asked for. Um, uh, you sort of, uh, 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 I can suggest it to them, but you don't uh, push it in their faces. And um, that's when it comes to the demos. There's also a lot of empathy um, throughout the process when you're following up, uh, just sending um, bumping this or uh, any news or so is not a great approach into uh, following up. It's good to keep in mind what their blockers were, uh, what the next thing is they want to solve within the process, uh, like, uh, Maybe they have to talk to the manager and sign up the budget. Then, then you can you can think about: Are there any ways we can help them do that? Like, can we help them create that budget or whatever? You know, be very empathic there. Don't just say, "And is it done already?" or something. Um, that's one. The empathy side. Uh, when people are listened to, and when you actually help them. It makes such a big difference versus other uh, people that are uh, doing a similar thing because not a lot of people don't do it well. Uh, that's why we all hate salespeople because there's so many bad ones out there. Not because sales is not a great thing to do. Sales is, uh, is helping uh, collaboration and helping humanity to work together, <laughs> but there's a lot of sleazy salespeople. And then secondly, um, organization, having a system, being reliable, so the thing I just talked about, uh, empathy, I highlighted it with one customer, right? Um, really building a relationship with one customer, but, that, but it's not what you're doing as a salesperson. If you would be building a relationship with one customer, then you may be an exa account executive from a big company for IBM, but that doesn't happen often. Most often you have tens of leads, maybe hundreds, and you're trying to do that thing at scale. So, so you're trying to uh, build relationships, make people feel heard, follow them up at the right times, remember what it is the next thing they want to solve, what the blockers are, you know, by when they think they can give you an answer, all these things, all these little details uh, with a lot of people at once. And following up at, at the right times when it makes sense for them, not too early and all that. Um, and that's if you if you bring these two things together, uh, that was that's what makes a great salesperson. Like you, you often 
find the well, often sometimes you find the first the first ones that are like very empathic and all that and want to help you and understand everything uh but you don't often find these people that are also very skilled in organizing this at scale uh but when you find those people those are really the top salespeople. they know how it is to uh build relationships at scale you could say so before when when i was asking you about the horror story you kind of mentioned a little bit that there were some stories with the people uh hiring people and so on and now you're again mentioning uh things uh like what the great salesperson looks like what are you looking for when you are hiring new people i'll break it down in two things again uh one you uh you want to know whether people are uh i'll I'll start from the other perspective when you're looking for a job there's two things that are very important one what is the job content is this really something i want to do and two uh is this a group of people i want to work with in the other direction uh from the, the company's perspective uh you want to find one a person that is exceptionally good at the thing you're hiring them for uh in an early stage startup uh it might not exactly be that way because you might need someone who is good at a lot of stuff like more of a generalist that also know can go into some things deeply uh but not necessarily like an expert anyway there's a, there's that one aspect and second um do they have the same values uh or or at least do, do the values work in the rest of the team uh do that do they collaborate well with the others do they do they sort of uh are they sort of different but still fit in really well um do they value things you really value um those are the, the two things to look out for now in uh back in the day uh we would also be more in, in the uh we'll, we'll wing it uh, sort of uh, approach there uh which made that we made some mistakes since then we've uh, taken it all uh, way more seriously i would say uh first advice is don't hire anyone bef- before you really need them um yeah it's often you think like oh it'd be so much easier if we had this person as well and we just take them on and but what it will uh, very often impair is one um your ability to uh hire the right person because you haven't really understood the job yourself yet so you don't really know what to look for and uh, when you take them on it's also very hard to guide them because you you also don't really know what it's about uh and another point is that when you hire someone to do a job that you haven't really figured out yet yourself um you rely on that person to have the uh, the skill and the passion and all that to iterate quickly through approaches um which you cannot necessarily expect they're not a founder uh so you cannot expect them to to take on that role per se so don't hire too early but then also when you're hiring be very careful um because to the culture aspect and taking one person and putting into a group of people can entirely change the way uh, people um, communicate with each other uh it can change the whole atmosphere um so it's really a sort of 
every time you add someone, so the make it or break it moments. Um, so make sure that it's people that really uh, uplift everything instead of bringing it down. Um, and then secondly, if you if you hire someone that that is not really great at the job, um, then that's you you will spend a lot of time trying to get them to that level because you believe that they can do it, right? Um, so it's a lot of energy that goes in there. You're sort of taken away from the job you're doing at that moment to really onboard that person, get them up to speed. But if at some point you feel that it's not gonna work. Then it becomes even heavier because then one you're putting all that energy in, into that person and second you have this uh this feeling that it might be that you hired the wrong person you have to fire them which is also very hard on you so it's uh it's not something you want to do and i had another point um so there's the culture aspect there's the work oh a third thing we really uh, look for is uh, can a person express themselves well uh, in written uh, format, especially? Uh, why written? Um, first, a lot of the communication we have with customers is written. Uh, we write blog posts, how-to articles, we chat with them, we send them emails, <laughs> you know, you name it, social media posts, so, so many things are written. Uh, so if people can't write, um, then it's very hard um, to have them communicate with customers. Secondly, uh, internal communication is also largely written. So for instance, we write issues in GitHub. Uh, we comment on these things. We're in Slack and we write things, you know, we write up documents with uh, of, of meetings. We write out documents of, of how we're going to build a certain feature. Uh, and if the language in that is not clear, it's uh, it's sort of half half. Uh, then then we lose a lot of time there. Uh, or if they uh, in the other direction can't really read well, uh, that's also really painful. And they do the wrong things or int interpret things wrong. And but it's mostly on the writing side there. So what we've put in place is a process in which we. Um, um, have interviews with multiple people in the company. So multiple people can sort of judge their cultural fit. We do um, background checks to, background checks in the sense of references, uh, calling with people to understand what it is they're good at and what it is they're bad at. You always, of course, these, these people you call with uh, will likely expose the good sides because that's what they've been <laughs> sort of uh, hired for, whatever. Um, but you can always uh, also look for the, the negative side in a, in a friendly way. Um, then um, I always ask for something they've written, um, something a bit longer per se, uh, not per se, uh, preferably, that I can see whether it's well-structured and I understand what they're saying and I don't get super tired when I'm reading it. Uh, that it's clear, uh, I can just see it on the page, you know. Um, and then additionally, the last time we hired someone, we, we did a little sort of um, test as well. We had two people in the end, the end of the process, and we both had them fill, fill out something with some um, mock cases 
like how they would approach this and that. That really gave us a good idea also of who was the best person for the job. Preferably, we actually have a sort of test working together also with, with the person that we know how it is to work together, that it's not the, the, the first day after you hire them, it's the first time you work together and and then you're like, oh shit, should have done this. <laughs> um, that there's some some trial working together, but but with most of the developers, this worked out well. They uh, many of them have started as as students with us, again a student job in the summer for a month, uh, and then we could feel whether whether that made sense, and then then we hired them. Uh, in some other jobs, it's a bit harder, uh, but it's something you should, should try doing somehow. And always going through people you know is so much easier than hiring uh, sort of out in the cold or whatever uh, because you know that well you kind of also, get a feeling who they are and, and how they are operating and how they will get along with the team yeah yeah and, and preferably also people with whom the people you know have worked together so you know there's some positivity there not just that they know each other as friends or something okay so many really really useful information already in this interview um let's let's close this up with um with your plans for the future uh so where do you see sales flare in let's say two to three years uh it's hard to say we're always testing out new stuff um so we're we're trying things we're seeing what sticks um so i cannot i cannot give you this clear picture i can tell you our our next plans uh of what we're doing like in the long run if you ask me where does salesware go is uh we've uh we've sort of automated uh crm data input we've built a lot of useful things on top of that for you to follow up your leads uh we've built automation on top of that data as well and if you, you pull this out into the future, at some point, it's a, it's a system that uh, keeps track of everything for you. It tells you when to follow up with people. It tells you whether they're in the mood for it. it tells you whatever. And the only thing you're doing as the very human part of, of, of sales um, is you talking to the customer, understanding what it is they need and all that. And the system will even take notes of that. And you know, it's you are just needed there to interact with other humans uh, in the way that you're you're good at. And and the system does all of this data management because in the end, it, computers are way better at that than we are. Uh, also, when it comes to organizing things on a higher level, that's that's really computer work. Now, in the short. Uh, Term, uh, what we're working on right now is we've um, well, we've just released custom dashboard functionality in Salesforce. So you can build any dashboard that you'd like. Um, now we are working on an upgrade of our email workflow systems or email sequences functionality. Um, so that 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 has well, you can duplicate things and you can attach it in a cool way to Zapier and all that. Uh, our next thing is integrating closer into LinkedIn because a lot of customers ask that. LinkedIn isn't really cooperative, um, but we're going to build something that still sort of brings Salesforce into LinkedIn so you can use things together, like you can already use Gmail and, and Salesforce really well together. And then we're going to go more into that direction. Uh, and I mean the direction of, um, of leads, sort of beginning of the pipeline. Uh, by building an elite search. So you'll be able to say, I'm targeting 
whatever SaaS companies in, in the US, uh, preferably that are have something to do with sales or so. Uh, show me the content marketing manager for some reason. Um, and uh, let's start emailing those people. You'll all be able to do that in one place. That, that, that's at least the plan. Cool, cool. So a lot of cool, really cool features are coming up. So everyone, please check Salesflare. Jeroen, uh, I would really like to thank you for being honest during this conversation, sharing with us um, horror story, success story, giving out tips how to hire people, um, how to approach growth, marketing, and everything. So I really appreciate this and really thank you. Thank you. This was fun. So, and everybody, see you in a couple of weeks for another episode. Stay tuned. Bye.